In this episode, we speak to Maisha Moin. We start with an I am meditation to feel a sense of presence in our identity. We then go on to explore her explorations in her Bangla culture and what it means to be a Bangla woman in Australia. We explore the age-old question of who am I and what it means to be Australian as well and hear about her pursuits in learning the language of her parents. So join us as we explore some incredibly deep and wonderful conversations. Maisha, welcome to the Okiru podcast. Thanks for having me. So what we've been doing these days is we've been starting our podcast with a short meditation and we found it just a great opportunity to sit down and get on the same wavelength. Awesome. And I know the podcast could bring some nerves and it does for us sometimes as well and we're we're live on Instagram live for the first time as well so puts a little bit of pressure on us but at the same time just being comfortable yeah. in your own energy mm. in the cultivated energy of this space as well as it is a community hub that we're at uh, in sunshine as well so inviting you all to find a comfortable seat wherever you are and inviting you to close down the eyes if that's comfortable for yourself and recognize recognizing your breathing wherever it may be what is your breath telling you about yourself right now? Is it shallow? Are you breathing short, shallow breaths? Or are they full? Full, deep, powerful belly breaths. Just observing. And there are many dimensions to the breath. Feeling the air enter in your nostrils as your body receives an inhale. What's the temperature of your inhale compared with your exhale breath? Do you feel a coolness in the air that you inhale through your nose? And how about the exhalation? Do you feel the warm air exit your body. Meditation is 
a fantastic exercise and practice for your mind. It allows you to focus, but at the same time, it helps you ease and regulate your nervous system to find a calmness in your body and in your energy. So on the Okiru podcast, we love to speak and dive into stories of culture. So this shot practice that I'm going to share with you has been inspired by one of my teachers, Mei Lai Swan, who is the founder of Yoga for Humankind. So as we rest here, as you're sitting in your comfortable seat, and as you are simply observing the breath, I want you to start using a mantra and repeating it in your head. And that is, I am your first name and your last name. I am your first name and your last name. I am first name, last name. I am first name, last name. And slowly letting go of that mantra and introducing a new one. I am and your first name. I am and your first name. I am and your first name. And now again, we let go of that mantra. And we use another one. I am. I am. 
I am. Repeating this to yourself. And now, again, letting go of the mantra and returning to your observation of your breath. Do you notice any differences from the start of the practice until this moment here? This moment right now. Are you breathing easier? Are you breathing deeper and fuller? Wherever you are, just accepting the life force that is entering your body, that is nourishing you. And so now I invite you to take your hands and just rub them together. Rub, 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 rub to develop some heat. Like you're trying to start a fire from scratch. Keep rubbing it until you're feeling some heat and then just applying that to your face over your eyes. And slowly as your hands are covering your face, just feeling the sensations of your fingertips, of your finger pads on your face. That felt sense of aliveness as you recognize and hold yourself. And as we ease out of our meditation as we return to this space. Just finding a moment and maybe looking out around the room at the big wide space that we're in and wherever you are at this point in time. Just observing with no judgment. And if you're open and willing, I'd love to hear from your experiences on the meditation. So I'll start with Jasper. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's always me. <laughs> How'd you go? Um, I'm spacing out for a second, but I felt tired mm. initially. Yeah. But now I feel present. I feel awake. Um, yeah. I was having all these thoughts, but it's hard for me to explain them now. But as that's what I can say is just I felt tired, but now I feel 
awake and present mm -hmm. that we're here in this space we're going to have this conversation so a little refreshed a little refreshed yeah and perked up and ready to go hey. yeah exactly yeah, like yeah. I, I, honestly I, fe I fell asleep for a second Maisha how the hell was your experience that's exactly what I needed I've had probably the busiest week mm -hmm. of this year yeah mm. a lot's ha a lot has happened um and just coming to the end of the week being able to start this podcast with taking a few minutes mm -hmm. to breathe yeah focus on your energy mm. um it's exactly what i needed and i kept telling myself yeah. this week that i was going to do a guided meditation it's going to take five minutes out of my week just five minutes yeah. but i never got around to it and mm. i deeply regret it but at least i'm doing it here yeah, mm. the both of you. Yeah. So feeling very grateful. <laughs> I'm curious because you were just telling us earlier before that your parents call you Maisha. Mm. And then you introduce yourself always as Maisha. Yeah. How were you identifying yourself with the I am mantra? It's interesting. I was switching between the two mm. and I felt like Maisha and Maisha, even though they're the same person they feel like two different sides of me mm. and I think in some ways it probably speaks to the duality of my identity mm. Maisha is the Australian in quotation marks part of me and Maisha is the Bengali or Bangladeshi side of my identity and it's interesting because I was switching between the two and it wasn't like I was you know, focusing on one, but probably equally between both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that really reflects the journey that I've been through the last couple of months, reflecting on my identity, how I feel about these two parts of myself mm. and choosing the parts that I want to make the most of and that are me and that make me both Maisha and Maisha. That's so beautiful. And it's kind of funny that as sons and daughters of migrant families mm. we we change and shape shift ourselves to be more palatable to the world around us Good as way. well don't we yeah and it sounds like when you refer to yourself as Maisha it may be a sense of making it more palatable for mm. the world around you as well for sure and that's the same with myself because my parents call me Lim. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. And okay. my name is not technically pronounced Liam. It's right. Lim. Okay. But after I entered, after high school, actually, when I went to university, I just wanted to make it easier for people to pronounce my name. Right. Mm. And okay. so I said, it's Liam. Because Liam comes from the Celtic name of William and Liam with an A, right? Okay. And so that's why when people see my name and I say, hey, it's spelt with an I and I always make sure oh, so that it includes an E, not an mm. A for Liam, L-I-E-M. Mm. And so there's funny moments where I correct someone, they're like, ooh, I throws a spanner in the works. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's just my name. And yeah. I've recently reconnected with... Uh, the young Vietnamese community and they said look it might be about time that you reclaim your name mm. right reclaim, reclaim mm. my name yeah and how do you feel about that it makes me nervous 
because yeah. I've formed an identity of Liam for the last, I don't know, since high school is 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so that would make me have to give up something that I've built and cultivated over, over a decade. Mm. Do you think you've given it up though? Or do you feel like you're evolving mm. into a new version of yourself? That's a good way to put it. We're going deep really quickly. Yeah. 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 I'm the therapist yeah. on the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is, this is the reason we've just cultivated a space mm. to make it safe yeah. so that we can have these conversations, right? And you're, I've never thought of that before. And I was only asked this question like six months ago and I only thought about the concept of reclaiming my name. Mm-hmm. And I'm still exploring that. Mm. To me, it's, it's live, it's in motion, it's always changing. Nothing is static. So maybe there is a point in my life where I feel so comfortable with myself where I'm, I go by Liam mm. now. Right? Yeah, that always kind of threw me off because I always, I was introduced to you as Lim. And then I yeah. heard you start saying Liam. Oh. And I'm like, am I saying his name wrong? And me and my partner were having a conversation. Is, is it Lim or Liam? And we were like, I don't know. Is it, <laughs> I, I, I was... Uh, I was confused too. Mm. And then one of our Vietnamese friends from our colleagues, we asked him, he's like, hey, Danny, how do you pronounce this in Vietnamese? L-I-E-M. He's like, Lim. And I'm like, okay, we're right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good that you cleared that up. So it, both are, I guess, right, correct? In a way? Yeah, yeah. And look, names are just so personal, mm. right? Because people have chosen names. Mm. Maybe mm. Liam is just my chosen name. Yeah. And Maisha, although the same spelling and identical to mm. how it looks, is is your chosen name over Maisha, which is y- your given name from your family. Mm. So, look, I, I met you not too long ago at a CMI shout-out uh, training. So, shout-out is a, a public speaking agency for young multicultural people to give room and space and a platform for young people to share their experiences on any topic Mm. mainly Mm. the experiences of being a young multicultural person touching on racism but also what it means to be a young person in this day and age Mm. as well so one thing that i was impressed with you in our training was that you've got stories of being a climate activist during high school as well so i'd love to hear more about that how that came to be how did you become a a young activist and what made you pull that microphone and (laughs) megaphone i should say up and and kind of give give the world a shake oh my goodness i feel like a celebrity now (laughs) where would you like me to start right at the beginning yeah right from the the beginning. beginning oh wow it was a while ago um i think i became an activist because of failure. So in year 11, we were trying out for captaincy roles for the year after. And I had this big dream that I wanted to be school captain. And I thought I had it in the bag. um, And I did not have it in the bag. (laughs) And I was quite disappointed, but I thought, you know what? I'm gonna try it for another leadership role Mm. and I'm gonna give it my all. And so I went for environment captain at my school and environment captain used to be that throwaway captaincy role you know you did a couple of um, rubbish pickups or a couple of fundraisers and that Mm. was about it it was laid back it was easy but i thought i want to be the best environment captain this school has seen and so i went to a couple of trainings by the australian youth climate coalition back in what was this 2018 
and they were teaching young people about climate change mm-hmm. um, and how to mobilise young people and the Australian public um, for really ambitious climate action. And this is following the IPCC report, which stated that we were going to overshoot 1.5 degrees of um, climate warming. Mm. And as a young person, I found that incredibly concerning mm-hmm. um, for someone who grew up very close to the natural environment. My family and I, we enjoy going out on hikes, going out to country Victoria. It felt quite personal that we weren't taking action as a community. And I thought, okay, well, I'm a leader at my school. I've learned a lot about climate change. How can I get more involved? And that's Mm. where it started with AYCC. And I must have been quite (laughs) insistent with a lot of questions that day because about two weeks later, AYCC called me up and said, hey, we're going to start striking from school. Would you be interested? Um, and we really love the passion you bring to the table. Do you want to go on the Today Show? Well. That's how I well. felt. Um, I was probably 17 at the time. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to be on National Breakfast TV. <laughs> I could not believe it. It yeah. was out of this world. Mm. Um, but I'm someone who loves taking on opportunities. And I said, you know what? I'm nervous. I don't know what to expect, but I'm going to go for it. And I did. Um, I was up on the steps of Parliament House Mm -hmm. a few days later, talking in front of the media. Mm. And within just a few weeks, couple of months, I was leading school strikes um, Mm. in Melbourne. I was leading hundreds of thousands of young people who were striking from school to really bring attention to the policy failures when Mm. it comes to climate change. And um, the government at the time they weren't taking climate change seriously and we felt so helpless. Young people couldn't vote. You know, I was an 18. Mm-hmm. Um, our school wasn't really taking it seriously. It was just go pick up your rubbish, turn off the, you know, turn off the lights. Mm. There wasn't this kind of motivation that we needed from young people to enact change. Mm. And I felt so powerful as a young person mm. being able to say, I have a voice. I care about this issue and I want politicians to listen to me. Mm. And from there, that really snowballed into so many different opportunities to talk about young people and climate change, girls as education, but also bringing in climate justice and concepts of intersectionality when we talk about climate change and climate policy, thinking about countries like Bangladesh, where, mm. my, par- where my parents are from. Um, Bangladesh is expected to be flooded and be underwater in about 50 years. Mm-hmm. That's my culture, my mm. language. Um, my family, who are pretty much going to be wiped out because we aren't taking this issue seriously. So, for me, it was very close to my heart. Mm -hmm. And I've always grown up in a very political family. My dad's always been passionate about politics and he's always taught me, if you believe in something and if you want to fight for fairness, then you go out there, go to a rally, Mm. stand up, talk to politicians, talk to people in your community and mobilise them to see the change that you want to see in the world. Of course, yeah. So that's where my journey started. Fantastic. Wow. It sounds like not from a beginning of failure, but in the right direction to success, wouldn't you exactly. say? Exactly. Oh, that's a yeah. good way to think about it. But pivoting from a lost opportunity to an opportunity that was mm. there and then just mm. absolutely doing the best that you can yeah. for it. Yeah. So tell us about your family. Tell us about your old man, your mum, and so much. the type of <laughs> environment that they brought up you up in. Because if your pa- your father instilled this power mm. in you mm. to have a voice and to, 
I like to say, just shake the tree, right? Yeah. He gave you that power to be able to do so, which is in all the conversations I've had is it's quite rare to have as well. So tell us about your father, first of all. Mm. Sure. So both my parents and my father, um, they're Bengali Muslims. So they're from Bangladesh, which is a small country with a huge population <laughs> in South Asia. Um, my dad came to Australia in 2000. So he used to be actually part of the Bangladesh army. Mm. Um, he came from a pretty big family. His father had passed away when he was 16 and he was the eldest son and was expected to provide. And so he joined the Bangladesh army, was there for nine years, mm. um, made some really great mates, really great connections, <laughs> still close to them today. Um, and then he decided, you know what, I'm going to take a pivot. I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to do a PhD. So he came to Australia in 2000. Um, he'd been married to my mum for about four years at that point. Um, and he started his PhD here at Melbourne University. My mum followed late 2000, mm. pregnant with me. I was in the <laughs> womb. <laughs> um, and she came to Australia not knowing a lot of English. So she'd studied English, but you don't speak English a lot in Bangladesh. Everyone mm. speaks Bengali. They're very mm. proud of their language. Yeah. So coming to Australia was a huge step for her, a whole new country, a whole new culture, and also becoming a brand new mother. Mm -hmm. uh, having a baby only a few months after you've arrived in a new country was huge for mm -hmm. her. And to have yeah. two life-changing moments um, when you're 28 is incredible. Um, so we, we grew up around Brunswick um, and then we moved out west side Melbourne, <laughs> close <laughs> to here. So I grew up in Hoppers Crossing. Um, we had a huge Bengali community. We nicknamed Hoppers Crossing Brown Crossing <laughs> because there are a lot of people of colour, a lot of Bengali people. Yeah. Um, and those were the best years of my life. Mm. But then we moved Eastside, where I'm now based in Box Hill, um, which was very, very different. And we really lost that connection with our community and yeah. our culture, I think, as well. And how does that make you and your family feel now? Because you've made that crossing over to away from Brown Crossing, <laughs> but you lose that sense of f connection with mm. your community. Mm. So, For sure. was there a sense of loss because you ruminated on how that it was the best time of your life, right? But your life is just beginning <laughs> at the same time. As a child, I don't think I realized what grief was. Um, I was very young, so we moved when I was 10 years old. I um, had a younger brother at that time, so he was born. Um, we have a five-year age gap, so he would have been about five or six at the time. And for me, I didn't really process the fact that I was grieving for this community, for where I'd grown up, my childhood. But now that I look back with hindsight, hindsight is so powerful, <laughs> I realised I was grieving, but I didn't know how to put it into words or how mm -hmm. to express it. For me, when we moved to Eastside Melbourne, um, we lived in Bourwen in Kew. Um, it's an incredibly privileged area. I used to count all the luxury cars that would pass by, the BMWs, the Mercedes. I, I thought it was brilliant. Wow, oh my goodness, people are so rich here. <laughs> um, and I think I really internalised it. I was really lucky to get a scholarship mm. to a private school. Um, and my mum always said to me, you have to dress a certain way because you have to act like you deserve that scholarship. You can't just wear you know, jumpers or jeans or whatever, you've got to uh, wear workwear. And this is someone, this is a girl who's only 11 or 12 and mm -hmm. being dressed in adult workwear. And I think to this day, I've really internalised that where 
I feel like I have a level of formality that was really introduced to me as a child that I haven't actually let go of because mm-hmm. I need to be the model minority. Mm. I need to act like I deserve the opportunities I've received. Um, so for me, it was realising that things were very different. Um, going to my school, hearing my friends talk about their beach houses in Portsea was absolutely unheard of for me. Mm-hmm. We were in this tiny uh, like flat that was quite run down, had a fair bit of mould. It wasn't sight to, you know, a place to be. Um, and my friends had mansions, mm. pools, tennis courts. And I was very aware of this concept of class and privilege but my friends who had grown up in the eastern suburbs and with this privilege all their lives, I guess, didn't really recognise that. And part of that grieving process of moving from west side to east side Melbourne was realising that we did, I, well, my family didn't have all of these privileges. Um, and then suddenly I'm in a community that doesn't recognise that, um, a community that thinks, oh, you've had a good all your life. Why can't you just be like one of us? Mm-hmm. In reality, there were so many nuances to my identity, not just my culture, but my family's religion, mm-hmm. um, our class, our wealth, our status within the community, our sense of community. These were all things that people didn't really understand mm. um, in the community that I was growing up in, um, in Eastside Melbourne, in Bowen. And that was really tough for me. And I think all of high school, I really acted out. Um, I was rebellious, I was outspoken, I didn't want to be like everyone else. I didn't want to be like other girls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I look back and I think for me that was just rebelling Mm -hmm. against the norm um, and saying, no, I want everyone to see what I'm going through and be visible about my experiences and not just have to assimilate and give up my experiences just to fit in. Did you have anybody else that at your school that was from South Asia at all? And could you, did you form many alliances? Because we find it so natural to kind of group up with mm. people of a similar culture to yeah. us. You know, when you're growing up in yeah. high school, there's like the Asians, the Wogs, and <laughs> that's just how we all united <laughs> right. as well. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what we all called each other anyway. <laughs> so look, the term that I just used, sometimes it could be offensive, but. Mm. I guess with being so close to a multicultural Australia, that's how we all just described each other yeah. as well. So, yeah, your experiences. Surprisingly not. Mm-hmm. So, at my school, there were – so, my cohort, there were only three other – well, three of us who were South Asian, so two other girls, so it was an all-girls school. Um, so, our cohort had about 44 girls, only three of us were South Asian, and we were not in the same friendship groups. And if anything, we were probably – bitching about each other, backstabbing each other. And that was really awful. I look back at it and I just think about how we didn't want to be friends. We were different. Um, And it was interesting because one of the other girls who was South Asian, she used to call me out on the way I used to pronounce things. So for my mum, English isn't, both my parents, English isn't their first language Mm -hmm. and they obviously have their own pronunciations. Mm. And when you grow up in a family, you hear a certain pronunciation and you're like, oh, that's how it's pronounced. And then you go out and you pronounce it and people are like, what did you just say? <laughs> mm. Oh, could you like repeat that? Yeah. Um, and so having another South Asian young person say that to me made me feel really alien um, as though she knew English better than I did, which even if she did, good for her. Mm. But English is also my first language. Yeah. And I, I don't know like why she felt she could 
you know, do that to another fellow South Asian. But I have that very distinct memory because I think our school in particular um, and the community we were in felt like it was trying to divide us, almost mm. like a divide and conquer mm. <laughs> strategy. Yeah. Um, and I look back at my school and I don't always have the fondest memories because I felt like I was very much forced to assimilate into the community. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that was not being able to form alliances with other people who shared my lived experience and mm. shared my culture. And still to this day, I'm not really friends with those women, mm. Um, mm -hmm. which is such a shame. But I am now with a lot of fantastic South Asian women in my community, mm. at university, um, in very similar spaces. And I love that. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. We empower each other. We bring each other up. But for some reason, in that particular space, in high school, that's not the environment that was conducive to those alliances, which mm. is really unfortunate. Mm. So, how does the rediscovering of your culture now, as you've had time to reflect, as you have recently been to India as well. Do you want to tell us about your experiences and yes. maybe the last- <laughs> Yes, please, I was waiting for this question. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your digging. Oh, and you're my in goodness. looking into the mirror <laughs> and finding all the ickiness, all the juicy stuff, <laughs> all the deliciousness that culture can bring to you. <laughs> Well, we'll start with India because I was so excited <laughs> to share my experiences. And Liam, I know you went to India as well mm -hmm. a few years back. Um, I'd love to hear your experiences as well of on course, the podcast. Yeah. So, I went to India at the end of last year. Um, it was part of a study tour from my university, Monash. Um, and we were there for two and a half weeks studying at a university, um, looking at Indian public policy, but also having the opportunity to tour around India. And I was very nervous before I went. But when I was in India, I loved it. I love the people, the culture, um, just the experience of being immersed in a completely different environment. And during my time in India, I felt so connected to the Indian people mm. and Indian culture. And Bangladeshi culture is very similar to Indian culture, but slightly different as well. And there were these experiences of people coming up to me and saying, are you Indian? Or speaking Hindi to me. Mm. I speak Bengali, but not Hindi. And looking around and Everyone else looked like me. Mm. Everyone else was brown. Everyone had the same, you know, coloured hair, eyes as me. And I felt like I just fit in. Um, mm. And that was a very different experience for some of the white students who went on that study tour who perhaps felt like they stuck out like a sore thumb <laughs> and they were like, everyone's staring at me. This feels so strange. <laughs> and for me to say, actually, that's how I feel in Australia. Mm. Wow. Um, wow. And it was really interesting because I think – the moment that really triggered this whole identity crisis was we were taking um, an auto rickshaw back to our hotel from night out um, and there are a couple of students who I would describe as Caucasian or white and they were very excited to be in an auto rickshaw. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you don't really find them around in Australia. And they decided to take a selfie with the driver and for some reason that brought up this ick in me. Mm -hmm. I don't see my friends taking selfies with the Uber driver. You know, I don't see my friends taking selfies with my dad or my uncles um, or maybe the South Asian man who serves them at the servo. And it felt really strange because even though it was a tourist experience, these people shared my culture, mm. in some ways my lived experiences, mm. and they looked like my family. And I just felt like they were objectifying that. And it was interesting because when we were reflecting about our study tour at the end of it on the 
on our last day in India, um, I remember just thinking, they don't get it. You know, mm. like this is so uncomfortable for me to see my culture being objectified like that. And it really triggered this, this response to me that I want to take pride in my culture. I mm. don't want to be ashamed of it. Yeah. And it was small things. It was small things that really accumulated that made me go, I want to explore a bit more about my history. What makes me Australian, but also Bangladeshi? Mm -hmm. um, that were things like religion. My family is Muslim, but in India, um, it's a Hindu-dominated country. Yeah. Um, and the history of South Asia is really interesting because it was divided based on Hindu communities and Muslim communities. Mm -hmm. And it really made me reflect, well, how much does Islam resonate with me? And then when it came to language, how much does Bangla or Bengali resonate with me? Mm. Um, and coming back to Australia, I really wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore my identity as a young person growing up in Australia, part of the Bengali diaspora mm -hmm. um, and what that meant because every other Bengali young person is very different. Um, I break some boundaries. I wouldn't say I'm a good Muslim. I wouldn't say I'm a great Bengali either, but I'm trying to connect with parts that resonate with me. But for some people, that might look really, really different. Um, and I think part of me searches for validation that this is what it means to be Australian Bengali. But I've realized through my journey that there is no right version of me mm. or what I should be, but there are different versions of what it means to be Australian Bengali. And it's mm. been really interesting I guess, reflecting on that journey and going on this journey to explore what it's like for other people, but also to put my experiences out there and share that with my friends, especially who are white or Caucasian and don't quite understand my lived experience of why I can't stay out all that late, mm -hmm. why I can't, you know, easily stay over at a friend's place, um, why things like alcohol and relationships are really uncomfortable for me because mm -hmm. they were really uncomfortable conversation topics with my parents, if not yeah. taboo. Mm -hmm. um, and so writing and my publication, Milk Tea, so I've started a substack recently, I've been trying to write a bit more about my experience and put it into a creative form that mm. people can easily access, so poetry. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's been a really great avenue for me to reflect but also engage with a creative pursuit that I've always really enjoyed as a child. Yeah. Fantastic. And what stuck out to me is the story of your Caucasian friends or non-South Asian friends sticking out like a sore thumb. But you mentioning that's how I felt when I'm in Australia. You feel like you stick out like a sore thumb. And I'm just reflecting as well because, Jasper, you went to a school that was quite dominated by... Mm. Uh, I would call it a non-multicultural population. Yeah. Right? How was your experience growing up in a high school like that? I think I was oblivious to, like, being Filipino or Asian. Like, I just felt like a part of it. I think I was similar. There was only, like, three or four, less than ten Asians in our cohort as well or different cultures. Um, yeah, I didn't feel indifferent. I think we were able to get along. I had a different experience to you. And I was able to get along with these guys. But I, in a similar experience for me was, I didn't hang out with all the Asians as well. We were in different mm -hmm. friend groups, but we knew of each other. Mm -hmm. Like, but we never hang out. Is there a reason why? I don't know. Okay. I guess it was just different, different structure. Different, yeah, 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 you know, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
I remember just high school, we'd just be playing down ball and just <laughs> hanging out. Um, some of my best yeah. friends were like Aussies. Mm. And yeah, I guess everyone has the different friend groups for different reasons, right? So yeah, that was my experience. Mm. It was, yeah, that's why for me, this whole multicultural thing, it, this idea of it is only been uh, introduced to me recently. Right. So having Lim talk about these experiences on our podcast have actually made me want to deep dive into Filipino culture and really speak to my parents and understand what their experiences are. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't care about all that stuff when I was younger. For me, yeah. it was all about video games, playing <laughs> basketball, and I, I didn't know all about that stuff. Mm -hmm. But like I always say in these podcasts, like I wish I was introduced to these ideas earlier. Right. Because one thing I found researching Filipino culture, not many of us under know or understand what it is. We've lost that native culture in the Philippines. Um, like I asked my, my mom the other day, hey mom, what, do you know any like Filipino culture? Like what's the native culture in the Philippines? And she's like, oh, I just know this one community in the Philippines. And like, but what do they do? Like what are some of the, the, the practices, the traditions that they have. And she's like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, hmm, that's very interesting to me. Mm. And having that podcast with Tyson last week mm -hmm. made yeah. me realize how important, how sacred the native culture is and how there's so many practices that we can use in our life. So yeah, that's why I, for me, I'm on that journey. I'm in the beginning of my journey of multicultural discovery and my Filipino culture. So it's, I can't wait to dive deep into it more. Mm -hmm. So that's my experiences really. Like for me in these conversations, I kind of just sit and listen. And like I tell Lim every time, so when we're sitting in these podcasts, sometimes I, I forget I'm a co-host and I'm just <laughs> a viewer, right? And that's how I feel because I have no knowledge of these mm -hmm. podcasts, right? Of these conversations. Mm -hmm. And like I said with Tyson last week, sometimes I feel ashamed of not knowing enough of mm. my culture. Right? Oh, I relate to that so much. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I, I feel that sometimes as well because you go around and you not parade yourself, but you identify yourself mm. as an ex-Australian, a Vietnamese-Australian, yeah. Filipino-Australian, yeah, sure. et cetera, right? And, but people ask you, oh, so what are the, all these informations? They expect you mm. to be a spokesperson yeah. of your culture right. because you come from that lineage right. as well. And that right. definitely puts pressure mm. on you as yeah. well. And so it sounds like you've come back from India. You've got a, a lot of magical inspiration <laughs> from there. And <laughs> India, I find, is such a magical continent, right? And Look, it extends so far wide because Bangladesh used to be called India before oh, partition. Oh, it's my parents then. Okay. <laughs> and so in terms of your sense of belonging, can you, your command of the Bengali language, do you converse with your parents at home in Bengali? And Yeah, I do. Um, so I speak Bangla, so it's mm. called Bangla, but mm. the, I guess in English it's called Bengali. Okay. Um, so I speak Bangla at home with my parents. I don't read and write Bangla, which is quite unfortunate, but um, I've actually just recently gotten a Bengali tutor. 
Great. It's it's really cool. I'm super <laughs> excited. I feel like I'm back in high school, <laughs> learning a new language. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, so I'm learning yeah. how to read and write Bangla. So I went to Bangladesh in February this year mm. um, and I remember kind of, you know, look at science and everything's pretty much in Bengali mm. because um, you don't get a lot of tourists in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really interesting for me to go around and being able to recognize characters but not able to read right. um, because it would take me half an hour to just read one sentence um, and we are not waiting that long <laughs> for me to read one sentence. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized this is such a beautiful language. Mm. And Bengali is really interesting because Bangladesh is fought for the language. Um, Bengali is spoken in Bangladesh but also um, in Kolkata in India. Mm -hmm. So it used to be an area called Bengal mm -hmm. and there was West Bengal and East Bengal and that was split during partition when the Indian subcontinent was split into India and Pakistan which had two wings and Bangladesh was part of Pakistan at the time. Um, so a bit of historical background. Beautiful. So Pakistan um, tried to have one national language and they wanted Urdu as their national language and so they wanted to essentially erase Bengali and Bangla. Um, and they were trying to force either Bangla to be written in the Arabic script or for Bengali to speak only Urdu. Mm. And, oh, my goodness, Bengalis were not happy. Mm -hmm. Imagine trying to erase someone's language, which is part of their culture and identity. Mm. Um, and so on the 21st of February, um, there was a shooting at Taka University where students were essentially protesting um, and for the language and they were saying, no, we want... Bangla to be a national language alongside yeah. Urdu for, in Pakistan. Um, and 21st of February is now known as International um, Language Day. And it's the day where we celebrate um, native and native languages, mm. essentially. Um, and I think that was really special because when I went to Bangladesh, that fell on the 21st of February. And wow. it was a really interesting day because I had these feelings of both pride but also mm. grief that I couldn't read and write the language I could speak it but also not very well I feel so uncomfortable speaking Bengali mm -hmm. because I only speak it with my parents mm. and being in Bangladesh and speaking broken Bengali was really really awkward um, <laughs> but it triggered this sense of I want to take pride in this language mm. people have fought over this language people have died over it we've shed blood over this language it is so special and I don't want to let go of it. Yeah. I want to take pride in this and, you know, make the fight worth it. Um, I might be in a whole different country in Australia where not many people obviously speak Bengali or Bangla, um, but I want to carry the torch and I want to take pride in the language. And so that's what really catalyzed this motivation to mm -hmm. get a Bengali tutor and to learn the language myself. And where did you find this tutor? Online. And how has your experience been so far? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Like, oh, the internet. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really lucky. And part of that experience is also trying to learn Hindi. So mm. when I was in India, um, mm. I had a fantastic time and I'd love to go back and work there for a couple of years. And yeah, right. um, part of that experience would obviously be, you know, having to speak Hindi. Um, and so I thought, you know, if I'm learning Bengali, let me learn Bengali and then mm. I'll also learn a bit of Hindi as well. Um, I can go back, travel the subcontinent. Um, it'll be, yeah, a fantastic experience, hopefully. Is there any relation between Hindi and Bengali or yeah, Bangla in terms yeah. of mm. words and sounds yep. and Yeah, flavors? there's quite a fair bit of similarity, um, especially words. Mm. Even um, 
uh, the characters themselves. I'm sorry, I was like trying to find the word. <laughs> um, you know, the way you like write or draw the characters are very similar as well. And mm-hmm. so I've got quite a few friends who are Indian and they speak Hindi and they'll be speaking Hindi amongst themselves. And I'm like, mm. oh, I know that word. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, but I know that word, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is really beautiful. And I think yeah. that really shows um, that shared culture between us. We might be different countries. We mm-hmm. might have distinct cultures, but um, our languages can be very similar. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating because you've come at an age now where you're so motivated to self-seek learning of the language itself. And you might have heard stories of other multicultural communities being forced into language school as a kid. <laughs> and they're just absolutely hating it at the same time. And sometimes you refuse to speak the language and you just want to speak English. But at the end of the day, you're somewhat you're thankful for your parents mm-hmm. for, for forcing you down yeah. there. But yeah. sometimes, and in, in my experience, because of our pursuit and p- pursuit and how I was forced to, to learn Vietnamese at a language school on a weekend, I wasn't able to play other sports as a kid. So I would have loved mm-hmm. to go out and play cricket, actually, yeah. out of all things. So there's there feels a sense of loss for me now that I'm thinking back. Oh, I wish I could have played club cricket at that time. <laughs> but I'm I'm thankful now that I can speak. My reading and writing is quite terrible as well because I don't practice it yeah. at all, really. And How so you don't practice it. That's hard. True. Yeah. Sorry. How are you gonna practice Vietnamese? That's really hard. Exactly. In a in a in a written and uh, in, in a reading form. Mm-hmm. So, like yourself, when I do read, I will just read very slowly. Yeah. And I might take, <laughs> I, mean, look, I have to sound it out like a, a preschooler, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Oh I relate to that. <laughs> but I can get through it and slowly stitch sentences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then yeah. if you're driving and you want to see a sign hop, that opportunity is no. long gone. gone. <laughs> <laughs> How's your command of the Filipino language or Tagalog in, in um, your case? Oh, man. I think it's a bit of a challenge right now because I'm kind of teaching my partner how to speak Tagalog because we're going to the Philippines in a couple of weeks and she's like, oh, I really want to know how to speak Tagalog so I can Mm -hmm. communicate, especially with my grandma. She wants to learn how to communicate. And yeah, like I can, it's hard for me to teach someone, but for me, I can just be like, it's kind of an innate ability to just speak it, not speak it well, but to teach is a different thing. And one thing I recently discovered is that the Philippines has this written language that mm. I never really knew about. And I was quite surprised, but also a bit sad just thinking about it now. Like, how come this isn't known to many more Filipinos? It's called Bai Bayin. Okay. It's a beautiful, um, I don't know how to explain the, what the characters look like, but it's a beautiful script writing. And I wish that it was more, I, I guess well-known in the Philippines. Because for me, I, I never knew that there was a Philippine language because everything's written in, in like alphabet, right? Like the Tagalog is written in alphabet, not like oh, a, a character. Okay, so it's written in the English alphabet. Yeah, yeah, pretty okay, much. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah. it's kind of sad to discover that we have a written language, right? Oh. Um, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful script that I would like to learn one day, but one thing I struggle with is time. It's time for oh, me to learn, yeah. mm. right? I'd love yeah. to learn so more Tagalog and yeah. learn this written language, but it's hard for me mm. to, when can I find the time to learn this, yeah. right? 
So that's a struggle for me. Yeah. <laughs> if you want it enough, you'll carve out time. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> I guess. I don't want it yeah. enough. No, but there's the superpower of language as well because when you converse in your mother tongue or your father tongue, mm. however you want to refer it to, right, you can only say certain things in a language and those things get lost in translation in English as mm. well. So one example is in Vietnamese, when you see something that just irritates you, <laughs> it's called ngừa mắc, and that translates directly to, you've got itchy eyes. Oh, cool. <laughs> like, that's so irritating. <laughs> it's ngừa mắc. It's itching my eyes. So it's, like, it's itching my eyes. I just want to... Oh, that's great. <laughs> is there any, anything that you've learned that maybe is so beautiful in the in the mother tongue or father tongue, mm. but you go and translate it into English that it's like, oh, no, it doesn't really work. <sighs> yeah, so many, but um, nothing coming to the top of my head, but it's more kind of the way you pronounce certain words. Mm -hmm. So in Bangla, the way we say blood is rock mm -hmm. Um And I guess as a child, I used to think rocks and like minerals and things like that. And it was really beautiful, I guess, studying anatomy in high school, just learning about, you know, what's in your blood, you know, the different blood cells, the minerals that are flowing through your blood. And um, there's a certain like character to words mm. and a personality they take on and a life of their own, mm. which is so stunning. And I don't think you can really convey that in English. Um, I'm a bit of a literature nerd as mm. well, and I, I, I love the English language. I love mm -hmm. literature, um, but another language like Bangla um, and so many different forms of Bangla, mm. like different dialects, formal, informal Bangla. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just so much beauty to it that needs to be unlocked. It needs yeah. time and patience. Um, but for me, it's more the personality of the words mm -hmm. and the life they bring on. Mm. I know, I saw you thinking. Did you think of any yeah, Tagalog? Yeah. I was thinking of Tagalog Words. ones. Like there's, there's this word in Tagalog. Do you remember it, Jess? It's, it's the feeling of what love is when you love like the butterflies in your stomach. Oh, fuck. Oh, that sounds Jones. beautiful. Yeah, no, there, there's some other words as well. But I'm kind of also mixing up my words now with with Malay because my, my partner's Malay. Okay. So... Whenever we eat, we say, I say kai and she says makan. So we, 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 we kind of mix our two, two languages together. And there's um, ways we explain certain feelings. So if you know when you eat something that's too rich, too, like too much, we call mm -hmm. it, she calls it jala. So whatever uh, <laughs> that, that makes, for me, I understand. I'm like, oh, if like chocolate's too rich or like ice cream, we just, oh, it's too jala. I don't like it. So it's, I'm kind of, mixing up our cultures now so it's, yeah. it's pretty cool it's, it's pretty like fun yeah yeah matching um, all together yeah yeah i'm trying to think of that word but oh shit <laughs> it escapes me do you mix different languages together when you speak so with family or your partner like uh, a bit of english with, with my, my family we speak a bit of it's like broken broken english okay. tagalog english taglish um Nice. Not with Malay, I'd love to learn it as well. Um, I'd love to put as effort, as much effort as my partner's putting in with Tagalog. Mm -hmm. um, but she's been teaching me some Malay words, right? So it's, right. it's pretty cool. There, When we visited her her family last year, she was teaching me um, this just a line to say to her grandma because her grandma speaks Hokkien. And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, when you see 
mama just say this say luhobo and the face her mom was like oh my god like oh, you said that. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it felt so it felt so good to be able to mm -hmm. speak to her and then she was just like just like give me a Aww, thumbs up and it's it was just, yeah it was beautiful like yeah. language just learning it i was like wow i can at least say mm -hmm. that to to mama and her family and they recognize oh he's like making effort and trying to you know mm -hmm. learn our culture which is a beautiful yeah. thing that's really interesting because my my younger brother so he's five years younger than me mm -hmm. he can't speak any bangla mm -hmm. um and i had this conversation with my parents the other day i was i said to them maybe this was a bit brutal don't you feel a little bit ashamed that <laughs> your son can't speak bangla <laughs> yeah um i was quite brut brutally honest <laughs> um and it was interesting because they said no not really mm. because we identify more with our muslim identity than we do with our bengali identity mm. and that was really interesting for me because i'm probably the opposite i probably uh identify more as Bengali than I do Muslim, even though they're both part of being Bangladeshi. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I take so much pride in learning the language and being able to speak it and communicate with my grandparents and my cousins overseas, whereas my parents don't, I guess, feel that, you know, amongst themselves, but mm. also towards my brother. And they don't, they're don't; they not really interested in teaching him Bangla yeah. or they're not really putting any pressure on him. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I find that quite sad, but for them like it's fine yeah. um and i know that if i were to have kids i would want to teach them bangla mm. um that's really important to me i would love my partner to also yeah. speak a bit of bengali with my parents um engage with my culture but it's really interesting how being bangladeshi there are two parts of your identity almost yeah. three parts of your mm. identity um and my parents resonate with one particular part mm -hmm. compared to another yeah so what's the three so Bengali, which is more about the language, mm -hmm. the culture. Yeah. Muslim, which is the religion of Islam. Yeah. Um, and being Bangladeshi, which is a combination of the two. Oh, but also uh -huh. the national identity, the history yeah. of Bangladesh, how it came to be. Mm -hmm. So there are three quite distinct parts of being Bangladeshi. Um, and I'm just trying to separate those and figure figure out which one I resonate most with, which yeah. combination of them mm -hmm. reflects Fascinating. Me. So is Islam the official religion of yes. the government as well yes so um the way south asia was split up mm -hmm. was obviously india was seen as the hindu majority country pakistan and what bangladesh was part of pakistan at the time was seen as the muslim majority country so bangladesh is a muslim majority country mm -hmm. um so they have observed ramadan eid um and it's quite quite conservative as well. A lot of those Islamic values are also becoming cultural values. Mm. So we're actually seeing this crossover between culture and religion, which some people really like and they mm. think it's more representative of mm. what it means to be Bangladeshi. Yeah. But for someone like me who's grown up post 9-11 and who's grown up in Australia, which has been quite racist, um, mm -hmm. but also has been quite Islamophobic, I probably have drifted away from that Muslim identity and i find that i guess coming together of the two quite concerning mm. for me mm -hmm. um but you know everyone has their own points of views from that no it's fascinating and because i'm hearing this discussion from other people mm. as well it's the cultural identity but also the religion but there's also an islamic culture that gets mixed in yeah. as well and so how do you not to find the difference, but there is a separation in a certain way of the religion, but also the culture mm -hmm. as well. And it's fascinating to 
observe that your parents identify more with the religion side and with your experiences being in Australia and because of the the cultural narratives that were, I guess, fed to you intentionally, unintentionally that you picked up mm-hmm. as a young person and that I guess you wanted to be accepted and took a step back away from an identity that your parents really hold very dear to them. So how has your relationship with your parents evolved and morphed ever since you started taking Bangla lessons? Um, it's been interesting. I think my parents think it's a waste of time, waste of money. Wow. Um, it's not like they're stopping me from doing it or it's not like they're not happy, but they're kind of like you could you know, focus on other things like your studies at university, like things you're passionate about outside of culture mm-hmm. and identity. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, maybe I'm psychoanalyzing them, but for them, I guess they haven't retained that connection to our community, but also language, both for myself and my brother. And I wonder if seeing me connect more deeply with my culture when they haven't really wanted to, or they've been actually taking a step back from being Bengali, that they feel uncomfortable seeing me do that. Um, and for me, I've been making a lot of friends who are international students, who are Indian, Bengali, Pakistani, um, from South Asia. It's been interesting having those conversations with them because that actually makes them uncomfortable. And they say, why do you have to be friends with them? Hmm. And that almost feels like internalized racism that I'm observing from my own parents. Um, And I say to them, I love seeing my culture represented. I love Mm -hmm. learning about a new culture that is very similar to my own. And it helps me connect with my own culture. Hmm. Um, So it's been... It's been a bit of a, cha- a bit of a challenge, but I've realized being an adult, you don't need other people's validation. And part of maturity is realizing that you can make decisions and you don't need yeah. people to approve them for you. Mm. Um, you just make them. And as long as it makes you happy, um, that's what matters. Do you have any messages for young South Asian women who <sighs> maybe they're in high school, maybe they're, say, 16 years old? Mm. What would you say to your 16-year-old self? I'd say be curious. Be curious about who you are. It's okay if it's challenging at first, if it makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's meant to make you uncomfortable mm. um, being introspective. But connect with your community, with your culture, mm-hmm. learn from resources. Um, I think we're really lucky to have social media and the internet um, to see advocacy groups and community groups who are bringing together people who share similar experiences and lived experiences and being able to share those stories like we're doing here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found some great groups of South Asian women who are empowering one another, getting involved in those. Um, Chat to your friends. They Mm. don't have to share your lived experiences or your culture, but be honest with yourself. Mm. It can be uncomfortable. I know for me it's been uncomfortable embracing my culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some interesting feedback from friends who have said, were you born here? And I don't know why that makes me uncomfortable, but um, yeah, I was born in Australia, but now that I'm embracing my culture, suddenly that comes under under scrutiny. Um, So you might encounter those challenges as you're engaging with your identity, Mm. but that's part of the journey and it makes you stronger and more sure of who you are and who you Mm -hmm. want to be as well. If I heard that, I'd ask them, why does it matter if you were born here or not? I think so too. Mm -hmm. I think so too. Um, I had a friend, we were at the footy and he said to me, 
oh, so, yeah, when did you come to Australia? <laughs> and I looked at him, I was like, mate, I was born here, just like you. Yeah. Like, why does it matter? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. But it was really interesting because for me, it made me think, does it seem like I'm not from here? Mm. Have I not assim- ass- sorry, assimilated enough? Um, am I not Australian enough? Um, and it just triggered all these weird questions about my identity. Mm. Mm. Um, and I just felt like the other. I didn't feel like I really like belonged in that friendship group or I felt like I really belonged in Australia. And it was just so, so strange. And even though it probably wasn't a question that was meant to hold so much meaning to it, mm. it made me quite uncomfortable. So what does meaning Australia, being Australian mean to you then? Oh, tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's just embracing who you are. Um, everyone who's come to Australia um, comes from a very different culture or identity, mm-hmm. um, except for our Indigenous people. Um, and I think it's realising that we're all newcomers. Um, none of us necessarily belong here. We create a sense of belonging. Mm. Um, and the beauty of being Australian is that it's multifaceted, that mm-hmm. we have a patchwork of different cultures, um, religions, ideas. And I think that's really special. And to be Australian doesn't mean to assimilate necessarily or to love the footy or to have a beer with your mates at the pub. Um, Maybe that's part of it for some people, but it's really just embracing the fact that you live in this country and this country brings you a sense of purpose and you find joy in it Mm -hmm. and you're able to share that with your community. Um, So I don't like to tie it down to one particular thing that's stereotypically Australian, Mm -hmm. but to bring it back to yourself. Um, and your identity and realising mm-hmm. that we're all different, we all come from somewhere, yeah. um, and that makes us Australian. So beautiful, isn't so it? So beautiful. And it really reminds me of the song, We Are Australian, mm, right? Yeah. We are one, but we are many, many. and from mm. all the lands on earth we come. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the sense of being Australian because we're able to unite in our differences and be able to celebrate that as well. So... Where to from here? Where does this looking in the mirror, looking under the covers, in the icky bits, Let me have a look. In, the, in the sticky bits as well with the journey that you've taken to not just understand your culture, but to learn more and to embrace and to connect the, with those who have come from the origin com- country, from Bangladesh, from South Asia, how... How is this affecting the work that you do and and the direction that you're taking as you progress through life? That's a really good question. Thank you. Um, I'm still on that journey. I'm really figuring out um, where I want to go. And this is really interesting because at this point in my life, I've really moved on from the climate activism and I'm moving into a space where I'm trying to advocate for multiculturalism and diversity. Um, And I'm doing that through CMY, Mm -hmm. um, the shout out. Um, program, but I'd love to get more involved in CMY and more multicultural opportunities. But I'm also looking towards my degree um, and where I'm working at the moment in the legal sector. Mm. And it's not a very diverse sector, unfortunately. And I'm trying Mm. to really encourage that kind of diversity by bringing together um, people who come from diverse cultural backgrounds 
um, and to create a network that supports one another um, and empowers one another. Um, and for me, that has manifested in the opportunity as the BIPOC, um, Black Indigenous People of Colour Officer. Um, I like to also refer to it as the Cultural Diversity Officer mm-hmm. at our law school. Um, and I've really enjoyed that, but it's been challenging. Um, and I think going forward, I want to be uncomfortable. Um, I want to step outside of my comfort zone. And I think even today on this podcast, I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable talking about this because mm-hmm. I talk about these things with friends who I feel really comfortable um, opening up to, um, friends who've shared that lived experience. And I know you two share this mm-hmm. experience too, but it's definitely different recording it and being on an Instagram <laughs> live and talking about it when I don't have fully formed articulate thoughts about it Mm, and mm -hmm. i'm really enjoying this journey of reflection and introspection um but the final goal is i want to get more involved in advocacy i want to put my creative pursuits out there that's what milk tea my substack is about um and i want to be more consistent in that practice and we've talked about time today and Mm -hmm. oh it is so difficult (laughs) carving out time for these things um when you're studying full-time you're working you're trying to balance a social life it's incredibly difficult Mm. um but as i go forward being uncomfortable managing my priorities um, and carving out the time for these things is, you know, my focus mm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, look, very excited for to hear and, and thankful for, for you sharing your story and however uncomfortable that may be as well. <laughs> Thank so, you. we're always grateful for having these discussions. Yeah. But for us, it's still an ongoing journey yeah. and an evolution as well. And we learn so much from our guests. And we learn, we take your messaging and we we reflect and we internalize and we create a new magic. I just like to say that we're sharing magic <laughs> on this podcast, right? And I think that's a beautiful spot yeah. to leave it as 100%. well. And if you think the questions are tough, then we've got a few more for <laughs> you. Just as three. Well. Just three questions. Just three. Just three. <laughs> the tough questions too. All right, go for it. <laughs> right, first question What are you grateful for? I'm grateful for my family and my friends. Are these short answer questions, by Up the way? Up to you. Oh Take my goodness. as long as you <laughs> like I'm doing a VC exam. <laughs> um, I'm really grateful for my friends and my family. Mm. I went through a really hard time last year and being able to lean on my friends and family and um, have them bring happiness and joy and perspective into mm. my life is so valuable. Um, and I think about it now and I'm so lucky and I want to celebrate my friends. I want to celebrate my family each and every day mm. and what they bring to my life because I wouldn't be the person I am today if it weren't for them. 100%. Me too. Second question, what have you realised? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's so open-ended. Oh. Okay, I'm going to need it. <laughs> I've realised it's been really uncomfortable mm. embracing my identity. There are times where I really want to hide and I don't want to take pride in it. But I've realised I'm paving the path for other young people. Um, I get a lot of messages from a lot of other, especially young women, um, at university or in similar spaces to me um, who read my Substack or you know, I have conversations with, mm. they say, that is brilliant. Like, that's exactly what I'm experiencing. And it's so great to hear or to read something that really reflects my experiences. Yeah. And I've realised that 
there are times where I want to give up and I just want to say, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I'm actually helping other young people on their journey as well. Yeah, definitely. Final question. What is the question you ask yourself? Who am I? Mm. Mm. And mm. that's not just my cultural identity, yeah. but what's my purpose? You know, right. that's part of who I am. Mm. What makes me happy? Yeah, That's a lot of questions, but I think who am I is one question that is like an umbrella question for everything else that I'm experiencing mm. in my 20s and I'm mm. only at the start of my 20s yeah. and there's so much more to experience um, and so many more realisations to have. 100%. I think it was beautiful that Lim added the I am mantra mm. in the meditation today as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think reflecting as well, just when you say your first name, I kind of got confused because I have two names. I go by Lawrence or Jasper. Okay. But my, I mainly go by my middle name, Jasper. So I was like, which one do I choose? Do I choose Jasper or Lawrence? <laughs> so I was like, I'm Lawrence Jasper. So uh-huh. it was a beautiful moment because sometimes when people ask you, who are you? What do you do? Right? Like you attach yourself to a title or your, your role, your job. But at the end of the day, you are your name, right? Like you are you. Mm-hmm. So I think it was beautiful that you, you said that and it was a a good way for me to come back in my thoughts and be like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm Lawrence Jasper Minot, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it was beautiful. Thank you for that. So I'll just add in when I did that practice for the first time as well, it was, I'm Liam Nguyen. That's what mm. I said, right? But that's the very anglicized slash easy to pronounce version of mm. it. So I started saying that and I was like, hmm, they're saying, right? Mm. Liam Nguyen, that's not right. That's mm. not what my parents call me. That's not what I was given and what's was connected to my culture, right? So how you would say my full name in Vietnamese and in language is Nguyen, yeah, Liam. Mm. So I'll say that again, Nguyen, mm. yeah, Liam. So you start with your surname, your family name first, and then your middle name, and then your first name is last. Mm. And my theory on that is that because we are such a tight household unit, so Asian families are very family orientated mm. yes. as well. So it's <laughs> yes, your true. identity is you start with a family first. Yeah. And so in South Asia, in, in Asia, you'll have, I guess, vertical households where you have so many different generations in the one household, right? Yeah. That's true. And we come here, well, our families come here and as first generation Australians or Vietnamese Australians, there is the, that's why we call it a third culture, right? Because we're not Vietnamese enough to be fully Vietnamese. (laughs) We're not Australian enough, whatever that means, to be Australian, Mm. right? So you're this beautiful, magical mix Mm. and whatever that means to you. Mm. And so these are the conversations we've been having and it's just so enlightening and so refreshing to chat about this because I think I came in here, I was telling the boys, I'm dead. (laughs) My social battery is zero. But but after this, I'm like, I'm perked up a bit. I've got a bit more energy. That's great. As well. Mm. So it's a great way to end it so mm-hmm. thank you Maisha for coming on the podcast <laughs> Maisha Maisha I'm, I'm sorry oh no I've made everyone uncomfortable sorry thank you for having this conversation with us and spending your time on this weekend to to share your story and your experiences so if you found value in this podcast make sure to like subscribe and follow our journey where can people find you and how can they follow your journey you can find me on LinkedIn Maisha mm-hmm. Moyne 
um, or you can follow my Substack, Milk Tea Writings, um, and you can follow me in my journey as I explore my dual identity. Awesome. That's so beautiful. Well, thank you for watching. Always stay safe. Always take care and always get up. Peace.